The living room. It's a place you can get comfortable, kick up your feet, and be yourself. Couches and conversation. We're just people living life, but not just any life. The life Jesus invites us to live with Him. We're learning together, having fun, and sharing experiences. And that happens right here in the living room. Welcome to the Living Room Podcast. My name is Gunnar, lead pastor of the Dwelling Church here in Savannah, Georgia. And at the time of this recording, uh, man, we're in the middle of a, a cultural moment that's really exposing a lot in our, um, in our nation that has needed to be addressed for quite some time now. But, uh, you know, as, as painful, as hurtful as, as these moments are that we're in right now, there's a, a really great opportunity to have really important conversations uh, around the topic of race and uh, social justice, and specifically in the context of how, to, how we walk this kingdom life out with this backdrop right now in our culture. And so we are, uh, me and my wife, Bethany, I got Bethany in the living room tonight. Hey, everybody. And uh, we are honored to have two really amazing uh, supermodel, awesome people in the living room with us tonight via Zoom meeting, because that's how we're rolling right now in this uh, quarantine life. But we want to welcome Jeff and Jasmine Cummings to the living room. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Hey, how you doing? We're so glad you're, um, you're here and sitting down with us to have a conversation. So let's, let's go ahead. I know that some of our listeners may not know who you guys are, uh, some of our dwelling family probably do, but just take a few minutes, tell us who you are and what you do and what the, what life kind of is looking like right now for you. <laughs> okay, well, I guess I'll go first. So hi guys, my name is Jasmine Cummings and right now I am a dental assistant and I plan on going to school in Florida. So we're gonna move to Florida soon. And there I plan on getting my master's and then eventually going to be a dentist. <laughs> hey guys, my name is Jeffrey Cummins. Um, I stay in Atlanta right now, but I'm originally from the Savannah, Georgia area. So I just moved up here um, a couple months ago and uh, I, I started a staffing agency. So I help different people find jobs that's looking for jobs. And I just feel like that's my calling right now, uh, helping people out um, in need. So that's what I'm doing right now. Start a business from the ground up. Oh, yes, yeah. You're rocking it, killing it. <laughs> great. They're brilliant. So they're proud kind. of you guys. I they're great with kids, and they really know good food. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, y'all. Thank yes, you're always posting food. That I'm, it's like making me, <laughs> making me I'm very hungry. <laughs> we, we got you, man. We got you. Yeah. <laughs> we come over. Come, we come down. We're going to come cook for y'all one day. Come on. I want it. I want it. <laughs> well, uh, I, we really wanted to just sit down tonight and just do a uh, have a conversation about to be honest me Jeff me and you have had a couple conversations before and well we've all actually talked with with uh, all of us have talked before about some of this stuff but we want to um just kind of have a conversation about what's going on in our nation right now uh and just kind of wanted to get you guys perspective um and so that our listeners can kind of hear, you know, what's going on in your minds. I think it's a really important conversation 
that a lot of people are having right now. But I, I think it's really important that we do this within our dwelling family, like real life stuff. That's what this podcast is about, just having a real life conversation. So I guess I, I would, let's start out with this. What, in light of the recent events, you know, in the last several weeks with, um, at the time of this recording, we have just in the last few weeks, we've had the, um, the murder of Ahmad Arbery down in Brunswick, about an hour south of Savannah. So it's, it, that seems like it hit really close um, to us near, you know, being in our, our neck of the woods anyway. And then uh, a couple weeks ago, George Floyd um, was killed by a police officer, Minnesota police officer. And it's really created a, just really a, a, a firestorm of opinion and voices. And it's been really good because, I, and I, we mentioned this last time we talked, I think it was Will Smith posted um, this past week. He said, you know, this stuff's not new. It's just that we all have phones with cameras and it's getting captured and shared and all that. So, um, you know, so let me just start off with a question. What, what have what has the last few weeks been like for you guys? How are you processing this? Processing this? How are you? How are you feeling about what's going on? Um, for me, these past few weeks, it's been tough. When I initially saw that video of George, it it hit hard. It really did. I just had a mixed emotions. I felt sad. I was angry. I felt defeated. I'm like, how did we get here? How is this okay? I just witnessed murder on live on TV, and yeah. I just I just had mixed emotions. Um, yeah, same here. Uh, I had mis- mixed emotions as well. Um, just looking at the video um, and seeing them like on the ground, I was just thinking, like, man, like, can't you can't you just put him in the car or you know, hey, you know, get off his neck? Like, I was just trying to you know figure everything out. Um, but, uh, just listening, looking at the video, it kind of, it was very traumatizing. Yeah. Yeah. It was very yeah, traumatizing. And yeah. It's like every time his name comes up or we'll talk about him, all I can see is the way that he was looking when the officer had his knee on his neck. Like, I can't get that out of my mind. Like every time I hear George Floyd, this, that is what I, that is what I look at. Like. That's what I see. Yeah. So it was, hard, it was hard to watch. Yes, very and, hard. And the video of the um of Arbery in, in Brunswick was hard too. It's just um and it looks like hopefully, you know, there's some progress being made on in the courts in that area. And you know, that's one of the things that I think the good is coming out of this is there there's some it, it's sad that it has taken this to kind of get things going mm-hmm. and actually holding people accountable and um so yeah that's there's some good in it you know it's it's heartbreaking in general when you think about you know none of us know new george floyd personally but something about seeing that and you know, just more coming to light about how one particular group of people has been treated for so long. 
you know, that's heartbreaking in itself to watch somebody we don't know go through something like that in a family. But then here we are, and I'm looking you guys in the face on this Zoom call. And, you know, the past couple of weeks for me, I've thought about so many people I know and to see how, you know, how it hurts you and to hear more and more stories now as you have this voice, like people are finally listening and saying, well, what's your experience? Just like we are on this call, yeah. you know, that is even more heartbreaking to me to, for people I know and love and to hear the things that you have been through that I never knew. Um, and so I guess that's what my question is at this point to you guys, what was your first encounter that you can remember with racism or being treated in a prejudiced way? I can go first. Okay. Um, I would say the first time uh, I came, you know, came across racism, um, if you want to call it racism, but uh, I was 18 years old and I was in a car. I got stopped by a police officer for um, not stopping at a, at a stop sign. And um, he came to the car and um, when, when he came to the car, he, he told me, you know, he was like, hey, do you, you know, his first question, his first uh, question was, do you have drugs in the car? <laughs> that was the first question, like, do, do you have drugs in the car? And I was, I was, I asked him, I was like, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have drugs in the car. Um, and I was just wondering why, you know, why he asked me, did I have drugs in the car? It didn't smell like drugs or it wasn't a reason. And I was just assuming it was just the way I look, you know, I was, I'm an African-American. I, I got, you know, tattoos on my neck. Um, so I would say that's, that was like my first time. Uh, well, you know, at no time that I've been pulled over, <laughs> I was gonna say. has that ever been the first question? Yeah. Ever. It's always, you know, where are you going? Did you know you were speeding? Whatever, yeah. you know, that I'll, I'll say that is, nobody's ever asked me the very first question do you have drugs in the car yeah no. that's actually happened like, like while i was in the car with jeff when we were um leaving actually leaving atlanta traveling to savannah and we got stopped for speeding and the officer he comes around to he comes around to my side um in the passenger side and he's talking to jeff and he's like hey man you know can you stop out the car me, I'm like, no, why does he need to, why does he need to step out of the car? Can we just get our ticket and go on our way? But um, Jeff didn't want to cause any problems, so he steps out the car, and, and then me and Jeff are like, kind of like bumping heads, because I'm telling him like, you don't have to get out the car, like, that's against your rights, you don't have to get out the car, he doesn't have a liable cause. But Jeff's like, I don't want to make trouble, like, I don't want to make this more than what it has to be, I'm just going to follow his directions, just get out of the car. So like, he he gets out the car and once again, drugs come up. He's like, hey guys, where are you, where were you heading from? And Jeff tells him that, you know, we were just leaving Atlanta. This is when my dad was in the hospital, he was in the ICU. And he asked Jeff, but Jeff told me this because I'm still in the car and I'm like looking back to make sure nothing is happening to Jeff. So he asked Jeff to like, you know, he was like, do you have any um, drugs on you like in your pocket? And Jeff is like, I have on gym shorts. So Jeff had to like pull his pants down to show them that. Hmm. 
and at that time Jeff only had on gym shorts. He didn't have on like boxers. So yeah. Jeff had to like expose himself to the officer. Mm-hmm. And then he comes to me and say, Hey, you know, where were you guys leaving from? And I'm just so filled with emotion because my dad was in ICU. I just start crying because there was just so much going on. And that was the last thing I needed. Wow. One of the things in a conversation that we that we had recently was um, something you said about being a little girl and going to the store and walking in the toy aisle. <laughs> yeah. How, and and I've never I've never even considered what you said. Why don't you tell us that? Sure. Um, so as a little girl, my definition of beauty was. It wasn't something that looked, it didn't look like me. So if I would describe beauty, it would be like pale skin, long, silky hair. I didn't, I didn't have pale skin. I didn't have long, silky hair because that's all I saw. And when I would go to look for Barbie dolls, I wanted something that looks like me, but I didn't, I didn't have that. So when that's all you see, and that's all you know, that's your definition of beauty. And even in the magazines, that's that's all you see. You don't see dark skin, full lips. Now that's in. But when I was growing up, full lips wasn't in. It was looked down upon. So yeah. I didn't have those Barbie dolls that looked like me. My Barbie dolls had silky hair, long. Um, yeah, they didn't have Afro kinky hair, dark dark skin. I didn't have that. So. so as a little girl, you know, no matter what you did, you know, subconsciously in your mind, you thought I can never live up to that definition of beauty because there's a lot of things you can change about yourself, mm-hmm. but then those things you can't. Yeah. And you then know? I'm sorry, go ahead, Bethany. No, that's fine. I'm done. <laughs> it's like, I had my aunts and my grandmother telling me different, like, hey, you know, you are beautiful. Your skin is beautiful. Your full lips are beautiful. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. But this is what I see that says otherwise. I don't see that being displayed in a positive light. I see something else in a positive light, which didn't look like me. So thank the Lord for those women in your life. Right. Yes, yes. Yes. Just their influence to tell you the truth, even when society was saying something different. Mm-hmm. Yes. One of the things I've been hearing a lot over the past, you know, little while where this is really on social media and people, people are actually telling their stories or maybe people are listening <laughs> to, to the stories now. And, um, and I keep hearing this, this common theme of uh, parents pulling their sons to the side when it, you know, when it gets about driving age and having a conversation that I'm not, I don't, I've never heard of a white, white parent, white family having to have a conversation about what to do when you get pulled over and, and, and like, and like a warning or a caution. Jeff, you, you, I know you said before that some of those conversations your parents with you yes um really it was my like my grandma and granddad yeah um, just always letting me know you know if if you ever get pulled over you know keep your hands on the steering wheel um always listen to what the officer has to say so i I didn't know anything about rights or 
you know, anything like that. Cause I didn't want to like, like Jazz say, said, I didn't want to cause any, you know, problem or anything like that. So yeah, like they will always remind me to just, just follow directions, just always listen to what the officer um, had to say. And like she said, uh, we was talking about when the officer pulled me over, I only had on gym shorts and he wanted to make sure I didn't have any drugs. I didn't even have any like underwear on. So I had to pull my pants down and expose myself to that because I didn't, I didn't want to get shot or anything like that, you know? And I was just thinking like, it didn't smell like weed or anything. Um, like, it was just crazy, man. So, yeah, to answer a question, uh, always listen because you don't know what you don't know what can happen. Any little thing yeah. can set them off. Yeah, yeah. And you know, growing up the way we did, you know, we were taught well. When you get pulled over, you pull out your license and registration. Yeah, that was about it. You know, we never had to have the conversation. You know, um, we our parents growing up would say, you know, well, don't, don't go anywhere by yourself, you know, how to stay away from quote the bad people, but they never had to really teach us how to stay safe from the quote, the good people. Right. You know, and it just, it seems like so much of your experiences, you have to have all these strategies to keep yourself safe mm -hmm. from the quote bad people and from the quote good people. And, you know, it's like you have to you have to have all these different sets of strategies uh, just to be safe in society. Mm -hmm. well, tell me about tell me about school. Um, I know you guys have kind of came up in different environments as far as your school environments, and there was some um, changes there. Talk a little bit about that, like some of some of the stuff you experienced with. Um, growing up initially, I went to a, um, it's kind of back and forth, back and forth. I went to an all black elementary school. Then I moved up north and I moved to all, um, white elementary school and then kind of back and forth, back and forth, um, through middle and high school. But my parents always instilled, well, my grandmother, she always instilled in me that you had to be twice as good because you're already starting behind. But at a young age, you don't understand that. You're like, okay, why can't I just do enough just to get by? But in my grandmother's eyes, she's like, you're already so far behind. White people have certain opportunities that are just not going to come to you just because of your skin color. So every little thing that you can do, you should be doing it. So a B wasn't good enough. You had to get that A. If you came in with a C, they're looking at you like, what are you doing? You can do more. So you always had to be twice as good. Yeah. Now that you're in school, past elementary and high school, you know, now you're getting ready to go to dental school. And do you still feel like those standards are going to be required of you, even as an adult? Are you still behind even as much as you've achieved and as far as you've gone? Right. For me... I wouldn't say that, I, w I would say yes, that standard is still there, but I went to Savannah State, it's majority a black school, but my master's program is in Florida and it's, it's very diverse. Mm -hmm. And when, just back in high school, when I was in a room full of my, um, my other classmates who were white, I felt like I had to do more to prove myself. Mm -hmm. 
I just didn't want to be, oh, the black girl that moved from the South side, came to school up North mm-hmm. because her parents wanted her to go to a better school and get resources that she wouldn't have had in the South. So I felt like I had to prove myself. So when I go to my master's program for, to go to dental school, I feel like I have to prove myself. Like I am a smart black woman. Like I, I worked my butt off to get here. Yeah. I just didn't get here because I'm a minority. I actually did something. Mm. So what you're talking about, really, it it brings up an interesting um, conversation about this term. This term, this certain term that's thrown around a lot, is white privilege. And we talked about this last time we talked. Was I think from a from a white person's perspective, I've heard this a lot that that term is really offensive to a lot of people because the way they hear it is, what are you saying? I didn't work for what I've got, you know, I'm, I'm privileged. Like I didn't have to work for it. And I think there's some misunderstanding about like, uh, at least from some of the white community that, that I've heard is that's not, that's not what that means. Uh, you know, that it doesn't mean that, that there is no work involved on, 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 on their part or anything. But what it does mean is that there is a certain way of the way that the world is structured, or at least our society is structured, that that creates, it really, it creates a struggle like you're talking about, like that, that there were, there were opportunities available to white students that wouldn't be as readily available to the black students. And I, I love this um, illustration. I, I, I saw it online this week. Miles McPherson, who was actually on CNN last night, Anderson Cooper, and I haven't watched it yet, but I know it was awesome because Miles McPherson, he's just an awesome voice in this area. He wrote a book called The Third Option, and uh, it's a really good book. I've read it. I just encourage you to read it if you're listening. Um, you can get it on Amazon or anywhere, but uh, Miles McPherson, The Third Option. And one of the things that he brings up is, you know, uh, most people, like most of the time when he asked this question, like 90% of the people in the room would be right-handed. He'd say, raise your right or raise your hand if you're right-handed. And most people are. And then he'd say, now raise your hand if you're left-handed. And, you know, there's a, there's a minority of people who are left-handed. And then he'd say, you know, when I was in school, we wrote at desks that were built for right-handed students and he said here I am as a left-handed student and I'm having to bend all the way over just to write on my desk and then he gave several other examples but he said you know the world was made for right-handed people by right-handed people and he said that's right privilege like and it's the same thing like it it really is whether we and we're so used to it the way things are we it's really hard to see the way it is if you're not living in it when you are not inconvenienced yes it's very easy to say oh no everything's fine what do you even mean but when you are the one who is being hurt by this system or by mindsets then it's a lot easier to see that and i think the that whole idea of white privilege i think what it is is it's actually a blind spot Mm -hmm. in our in white people's minds we don't it's like we 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 don't know what that we don't know what it's like to be like and so we miss the point 
and people have taken offense and all that kind of stuff. But basically that's what, the, that's what that is, is what you're talking about. And you've experienced that. And I, what, the good thing about this now is that we're actually having these conversations. Right. And I think people are beginning to understand and some clarity is happening. And, um, and so that's a, that's a really good thing. So you got a question? Well, and I think it's, it's kind of helping a lot of us to be more intentional to just say flat out, I do care. You sure, know, there yeah. may have been a lot of people who cared before, but never were really pushed to the point of saying, you know, do I care or not? Do I need to just voice that? And so it's almost like now, you know, we're being called. It's, it's time to voice that. If, yeah. you know, if you do not, if you want people to be valued, you can't, you just, we never should have been silent, but it's, it's time. We can't be silent anymore. So it's, there's an intentionality, I think now, um, more than there was before, where maybe there was apathy or just not knowing. Yeah. Sure. So what are you guys, um, what are you guys hearing from the Lord about this? Like, what is, What's your heart with him and your relationship with him? What, what is that? What's going on with that? With those conversations with God that you're having right now? Yeah. Um, right now, I would say that God is telling me to, number one, continue to focus on him, um, to put my trust, you know, in him, mm -hmm. um, to notice what is going on and to, to try to come up with a way to, to try to solve it on, 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 on my end as well. Um, so I would just say just trusting in him and also doing the works as well. Yeah. That's good. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> my turn. Um, my relationship with God right now is, is very personal because right now I'm struggling with a lot. So right now I'm just praying to God to ask him to help me stay focused on what is important and to remove any hate that I have. Because what I'm like, when you go on Instagram, you just see so much and it can be so draining and it takes, it takes an emotional toll on you. Yeah. And I don't want one police officer to run it for the rest of the other good police police officers. And I don't want one racist white person to ruin it for other good white people. Cause I know they're good white people. You guys are good people. You're good to us. So I asked God to like help me with that. So that's, that's what I've been praying. Yeah. Cause it's hard. Cause yeah. you give up like your flesh just takes over. Right. So well, we're, we're seeing that in the, in the response, like with the, with the protests in a lot of the protesting that's happening is, I think it's, you know, it's good. It's great that it's happening. And I'm, I'm really, I'm really proud of our city and how our city has handled a lot of this um, that's going on right now. But obviously, you know, you watch the news and you're hearing a lot, a lot of the riots and looting and stuff like that. What's your perspective on all, all that? And then one thing, um, before I answer that, Pastor Gunner, 
I also wanted to say that also talking about it, it helps a lot. So when we did that first run yesterday, like I just felt like relief over me because it's like, whew, I, I got all this anger and built up, built up emotion out. So just having that conversation yesterday, it really helped. Yeah. It helped a lot. Yeah. So. Just having a listening ear from someone viewing it from the other side. Mm -hmm. um, me, I would say um, about the protesting, I feel like, like I'm glad that people are protesting because you got to do something about it. <laughs> you you got to do something about it yeah. um, to, to make a change. Um, cause I feel like if people, you know, wasn't taking this serious and, and out protesting, then it probably would have got overlooked. So I'm glad that people are protesting and, you know, standing up for what is right and actually seeing what was, seeing what's going on. Right. Um, but the, the looting, I feel like we can, you know, we can cut that out. You know, the, the looting, you know, different people can cut that out. Um, but I understand I understand that, you know, if you don't know, if, you, if your trust is not in God and you're depending on your own flesh, you're going to, you're going to just think, you know, you're going to just do anything. Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah. And I, I feel like a lot of people are hopeless. So they feel like the only way to be hurt is through violence yeah, because when they I'm try to do it peaceful, nothing happened. And then here we are again. Like yeah. Captain Mick, he tried to do something peaceful every Sunday. Yeah. But that guy looked 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 over. But now we're having riots every day. And not everyone's like, oh my gosh, like what is happening? Okay, black lives really do matter now. <laughs> it's yeah. like we tried to tell you guys peaceful every Sunday, but mm. yeah. When mm. people feel unheard, mm -hmm. eventually it's like they act out. And it's like, I've got to be heard. You know, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to ramp up what I'm doing, you know, because nobody is hearing Martin, me. Martin Luther King Jr. said, rioting is the language of the unheard. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, that's, that's so true. That That's another point is the whole thing about the, we're going, we might, we might start a pot here talking about <laughs> national anthem and all that. But I will say this, I think a big problem is specifically, and I'm, I'm coming from a pastor standpoint here, so I'm going to go pastor for, I'm going to get in the pulpit for a minute. <laughs> but I think what's happened in the church and what has actually shut the mouth of the body of Christ is politics. And that we feel like we have to be on one side of the aisle or the other. Mm -hmm. And we've made this issue just one more political issue to divide over. Listen, I mean, like, I think what we've, what we've actually got to do is see it for what it is. And just do the Bible says Micah six eight. It's just I'm seeing this everywhere because it's just so applicable right now. But he says, "What does the Lord require but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? Doing justice, not just talking about it, mm -hmm. not just not just posting on Facebook." And it's like. I think right now people are like, okay, I want to do, I want to do justice. What does that look like? Does it look like going and holding a sign? Does it look like marching? Does it look like destroying a shop? You know, I mean, there's all kind of opinions right now. So what, like, 
and I know you've already kind of touched on it, Jasmine, about just having the conversation, like just being able to open up like we're doing right now, just having a conversation. But what are some ways, in your opinion, and I know we don't all have the answers, we can't fix all of this in, in, in a conversation. But If we could, we would. Exactly. It'd be, it'd be fixed. <laughs> but what are, what are some things, in your opinion, I guess, um, would help? right now where we are i honestly think just bridging that gap going into communities that you're not familiar with getting out of your comfort zone that's that's what i think because i experienced that at an early age so i went from an all-black high school from an all-black middle school to an all-white um middle school so i was culture shock i had never seen so many white people before so i'm like I don't know how to act. I don't know how to feel. I'm just going to sit here quiet and not be the outcast. But um, yeah, but eventually I I loved it because it was something different. I learned, I learned so many things from my white peers. Like I first like experienced something that was organic. I didn't know anything about organic. I'm like, what is that? But yeah, yeah I learned, I learned a lot and it's good to experience different cultures yeah. and how people live that might be different from you. Yeah. So like when my, I had a, um, my best friend when I was younger, I think it was in middle school. Her name was Shelby Cisco. She was a white girl and we were like this, that was my girl. So she would come over to my house. My grandmother would be making us like some fried chicken and like, uh macaroni and cheese and then we would go to her house and then we would have like all this organic pasta (laughs) like make popcorn on the stove that was so interesting to me because we just get a bag of popcorn and throw it in the microwave no i'll be like like, we're going to your grandma's house jasmine (laughs) (laughs) right she she loved it because at her house all he did was organic and then at my house we would cook healthy but then on sundays we would have soul food yeah. She loved it. But just experiencing different um, communities and different cultures and people that don't look like you. So so important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. And I would say I would say the same thing. Um, doing what you guys are doing, like like trying to learn things that that you guys don't, you know, don't know about about, you know, about us and stuff like that. Um, even even us um, just trying to listen listening to you know each other and not just trying to be like right all the time even even on our, on our end yeah. you know just just humbling ourselves just to you know learn something different learn something new because mm-hmm. um, if you're because some people might just be lost and don't know so if you if you knew then it would change it would be you know different and i want to say that dialogue is so important because if you're grown if you're growing up in a high in a household that all you hear is like hate about different people that's that's what that's what your mindset is going to be when you get onto the road on your own mm-hmm. but right. when you meet other people who are different from you hey like my parents said this and that about this guy but this is a good dude like he's a really good dude so i think just just being open to dialogue and just getting out of your comfort zone that's right. Well, um, is there anything else on your mind that you just gotta say right now? 
Now's your chance, Jasmine. Let me give a notepad. Let me give a notepad. Where's that? Where's that soapbox at? Get on it. Um. No, all I want to say is that black lives do matter. Yeah. And when, as a black person. When I say Black Lives Matter, I'm not saying that all lives don't matter. Other races that are not Black doesn't matter. All I'm saying at this point is that Black Lives Matter because Black lives are the lives that are at risk right now. Mm. Yeah. So once we can get <laughs> this agenda together, what is happening to Black lives, then we can move forward from here. But right now at this moment, Black lives is what is important right now. Mm. Right. So I want to say that again. When I say Black Lives Matter, I don't mean that other races don't matter. Mm. They matter too, but they're not getting gunned down in the street mm. on camera. Cool. So. Could that you hate that all of this has happened? You hate that all of this bad has happened in the last few weeks. But could this be the moment in our history when nothing is ever the same? Could this be the moment when some of these deep wounds and these deep wrongs that have been going on for so long, could this be the turning point? You know, all of this rising to the surface, things that have been rising to the surface for decades and longer, hmm. you know, could this be the moment in time where things get healed and we look back and say, we cannot believe it used to be that way. Right. You know, our ancestors, our children's children, look back and, at, at our generations and say, they were crazy. What in the world was <laughs> happening? Yeah. I'm so glad it's not like that anymore. Yeah. Me personally, I would say yes. Yeah, I, <laughs> I would say yes too. because um, just I just saw a video of, a young lady, her parents was actually, you know, racist. And um, she got on them. She was like, hey, you can't talk like that around me. You mm -hmm. know, and, uh, it, it was on, on, a, on a video and yeah. she stood up for what was wrong to her parents. So yeah. I would say like the younger generation that's actually, you know, growing up, seeing what's going on right now, you know, I feel like it can be a change. And, yes. and, and by God's grace, like, it, like, it, it can change. Yes. It can change. This so. younger generation, this generation that is coming up, they're like, they're not playing. They are sick of races. Yeah. They, yeah, they're sick of races. They don't, um, they don't see color. But then you still have, like I said, you have those kids who parents do speak, speak that way at home. So mm -hmm. they leave their house and they have this certain mindset. But I was just telling my grandmother, I'm like, I'm so happy because I see so many people protesting for our lives who don't look like us. And I was so happy to see that, that yeah. we're not in this fight alone. Yeah. Alone. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, we're, we're standing with you guys and um, we love you and we, we see you. We hear the, we hear the struggle. We, we see, we hear the stories and really, I, I know we're not the only ones like, but for everybody listening who um, 
is of the African American community, we, I think things are turning around. And I, I think the church, if we, if we seize the moment, I think this can lead to the greatest, um, not only the greatest cultural change, but the revival that we've been praying for, for years. I think this is a huge part of what God wants to do right now uh, in our nation, at least. Because you can't say you love God and treat people right. like they don't have any value. How can you love your brother? How can you love God whom you've not seen and hate your brother who you have seen? It really does. All this is complicated, but it is so simple. Yes, because it, God uh, is love. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. I want to. I want to close with this verse, and uh, this verse is from the message this Sunday at the dwelling. But it's First Peter chapter three. And it says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, I think if we focus on doing that right there, I think that these conversations and we can see the change that, that needs to happen. So, uh, guys, thank you guys for jumping on here, sitting down in the living room with us, having a conversation. It's been really good. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. Thank and we you. love you guys. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thanks for sharing your perspective. We love you, too. We think the world of you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we do. <laughs> for, thank you for listening to, today at, on the Dwelling uh, Living Room Podcast. God bless you with uh, the ability to see others as God sees them and the courage to do what's right. Amen. Thank you for joining us in the living room. To find out more information about The Dwelling Church and how you can help support this ministry, visit thedwellingchurch.org.